All right, how you guys doing? It's good to see all your beautiful faces. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Jubilee. And I just want to say thank you so much uh, for everything that you guys do um, and coming and visiting us. We love you. We honor you. Uh, but we are in the middle of a series. And it's been a really good series. Um, I don't know if you guys have been at Jubilee for a long time or going to church for a long time. But the thing with Christmas series is sometimes there can be a little bit of fluff behind it. You know what I'm saying? It can be like, you know, about this and that. And uh, what I have to say about this series is how wonderful uh, that we've gone after it. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard all the messages or not, but we started three weeks ago. And Pastor John started off with the first two messages. And I told Pastor John, um, I said, hey, the message you talked about generosity is the best message I've ever heard in my life. And especially by him, you might be saying, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm Pastor John's son, so I've heard a lot of his messages, okay? It was one of the best messages that I've ever heard him say. And then last week, we had Pastor Kate talk, and she knocked it out of the park as well. Her best message as well. Uh, who he was here last week, by the way? Did you guys hear her talk smack about me? Yeah. About being the baby? What was that about? Like, I'm sorry I'm the baby. Like, what do you want from me? I'm sorry I was born when I was born. I mean, who, raise your hand if you're a baby. Raise your hand. Do you guys agree? Yes, thank you. Do you agree with this comment? It's hard to be humble when you're the best. You're the baby. Any of the older siblings, my oldest is sitting, yes or no? I'm the best. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, fully, fully joking. And then she's walking out, and I'm like, you know I'm preaching next weekend, right? And she's like, yeah, but you can't say anything about me. And I'm like, well... I guess the worst thing you ever did was go to sleep five minutes after you were supposed to go to bed. She was that child, you know, never went to bed or never got in trouble, like one spanking. I mean, I, I get it now. Like my daughters look at me and I'm like, I, Holly, you take, I can't, I can't deal with my daughters, right? And I was like, so what can I say to her? I don't want to hurt her feelings. So I'll just say, you're short. Boom, roasted, okay? <laughs> Boom, roasted, all right. No, but as I was saying, um, we are in a Christmas series, and I'm super excited to see uh, what God does um, tonight. Um, so for me and my family, um, from our cousins to our nieces and our nephews, our children, our in-laws, every which way, we love Christmas. I mean, in our household, Holly and I, November 1st comes around, our whole entire house is decorated with Christmas. Okay, we have Christmas music. You might be asking, well, when does that season start? Okay, it's, it ends on December 25th and begins on December 26th, okay? We love Christmas music. We love going to see lights with our kids. We did that this last weekend. We got popcorn and hot chocolate and cookies and drove around. Like, we love it. Uh, and, you know, I say applaud uh, to my wife, the way she decorates my house. She knows that I love that. Um, and uh, just, we love every single second of it. I love coming to church. I love the decorations, just the feel. You go to the mall. I did actually go to the mall this year on Black Friday, not realizing it was Black Friday. And I was like, hey, Holly, let's just go get some lunch. We go, and I was like, why is it so crowded right now? It took us like half an hour to find a spot, and then finally we're like, Black Friday. But uh, one thing that we do that is kind of special is we write out a list of movies that we want to watch every single year. So Holly's favorite movie is The Santa Claus, right? Mine is, uh, you know, it changes, but I, I, I love Home Alone. I, I just, I don't know what it is. It cracks me up, and I'm a full-grown adult, and I'm sitting with my six-year-old son, and him and I are laughing at the exact same parts. Like, it's like, this doesn't make any sense, but it, it's, it's, it's been tested through time, and is amazing. It's a great movie. And then, you know, we have our, um, it's, it's a wonderful life. And then you have, you know, The Grinch. And then you have, you know, all these other movies. You know, and just shout it out. You guys know the movies. We all love and, and look forward to watching every year. Uh, but one that's uh, most recent that's kind of been like on the bottom of our list for a long time was The Christmas Carol. 
You know, we watch it once a year, but this year, I don't know if you realized it, they came out with like two new ones, one on Apple TV with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. I haven't seen that one. And then they came out one on Netflix, which is like a animated cartoon one, also awesome, brought me to tears, love it, but it's not that big of a deal. Every movie brings me to tears, okay? So it's not, I'm a very emotional human being. So I watched that with my son and as a family as well. Um, but it's just something about that's been digging in my heart about this story because it was written in 1840-something. And I don't know if Charles Dickens was a Christian, but if I had to guess, I would say he was. There's such an underlining to the Christmas carol. And if he wasn't Christian, then it just shows how much of the Christian society was. And today, what I felt like a month ago, the Lord was telling me, hey, Daniel, what I want you to talk about is peace. I want you to talk about peace for Christmas. So I was like, okay, and I'm, I'm working on it. And, and I start getting all these things. But uh, a lot of, for me, peace, it brings uh, community and relationship, right? Last week, what was the message about? Community and relationships. So we're in our teaching team. And I have these things that I've been studying and working on. And Katie comes and, hey, I really feel called to talk about relationship. And I could totally see the Holy Spirit there in working. And I was like, okay, well, these are the ideas that I came with peace, but I think it fits really well into your message. But with that, it means I got to come up with a different message, right? So I start coming and I'm like, Lord, what are you, what are you talking about? What is the greatest gift? What is the greatest gift? And I was, I was talking to my sister, Amy, and I was like, what's the greatest gift? And she's like, I got one. I got one. She's, if you guys know her, she's such a rock star. Like, like I, yeah, Amy's a rock star. And she goes, she goes, what about the gift of today? What about the gift of today? And I was like, that is amazing. I will do the gift of today. And then I started praying about it more and more and, you know, watching the Christmas carol, right? So I go, what if we did the gift of our past, the gift of our present, and the gift of our future? And now you're thinking, wow, Daniel, uh, that's really Christmassy. I'm sorry, guys. I really love Christmas. I really love Christmas. So what I want to talk to you about, I already gave you the three points, but it'll be on the, the, the screen once we get to each point. So the first gift that I want to talk to you about is the gift of the past. So by a raise of hands, when you think of your past, do you cringe at times? Is there times that you're like, oh, that was a wonderful thing, Right? See, here's the thing. Today, what I want to talk to you about is we have three gifts that God is giving us, but on the other side of the pendulum is an enemy trying to attack us. So with past, we have regret. We have people that look at their past and are like, dang it, how could I do something that dumb? An example, I can give you a perfect example. Even last week, my sister saying that I told my dad that I thought my job was harder than his I don't even remember saying that. And I'm like, I cannot believe I said that. That makes me cringe. That makes me cringe. How could I say something that's, I was working at Garbanzo's. At Garbanzo's. Yes, I had to be there super early, but I didn't have the weight and the spiritual heaviness of being a lead pastor of a church. That makes me cringe. I mean, I could tell you story. I'll tell you a few stories that I don't even think, maybe my wife knows, maybe she doesn't. I know for sure my parents don't, um, but they're gone, so it's all right. Um, I, one time I had a buddy, his name was Billy McBain, and his name is exactly the person he was, Billy McBain. I don't know if it just, if you could picture Billy McBain, that's him, okay? He's the guy that when he would get super happy, he'd go, like super excited. So where it's him and I at his house. We just turned 16 or we were just about to get our licenses and his dad's got a Porsche 911 turbo and he's like Daniel you want to take this out and I'm like well can we and he's like yeah of course and then he goes but Daniel it sticks so you need to drive it and I was like 
all right. So I say, all right. And Billy's, you know, super excited. So we're backing up through the driveway, right? We get to the curb, you know, get off. And then I was like, is that okay? Is that supposed to happen? He's like, yeah, it's fine. I've done this plenty of times. I'm like, okay. All right, Billy. And then, so we're going and just zoom, like flying down the street in the neighborhoods. And now as an adult, those are the kids I want to kill. I want to kill those kids. I never would have seen myself as being the guy that goes like this because I have always hated it. I'm driving down the street. Slow down. I'm going 25 miles per hour. Stop telling me to slow down. And now I see anybody's going. I'm like, slow down, slow down. Right? Right? And I was that kid. Another one, same kid. He goes, it's, it's, we're getting done. We're hanging out. It's like 10 o'clock. It's the middle of summer. And, and it's just him and I. And he's got this big Yukon Suburban or whatever. And, and he's like, hey, I've got a great idea. This kid, we just were not good for each other. Okay, he, not good. He goes, let's go to our local parks and do donuts in the grass in the field. And I was like, look, Billy, that's a really bad idea. And he's like, no, no, let's do it. And I was like, all right. So we, we start doing it. He goes, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, right? We go home. And then the next day he gives me a call and he's like, my parents know what we did. I was like, why do you know they know? And he was like, well, there's grass all over our car, Daniel. And I was like... I was like, okay. But I look back at that and I am, I'm, in, I'm the pastoral oversight for security. I could have gotten in huge trouble for doing that. So I look at that stuff and I'm like, why am I so dumb to do stuff like that? Why did I do stuff like that? In church, I guarantee that I could ask each one of you, whether it be when you were in your teens, whether it be in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, that you could look back and say and cringe at the things of your past. But I feel like what the Lord wanted to do today was to bring freedom and bring a gift to you today of saying, your past is a gift. It is not something to regret. It is something to be set free from. And I believe in order for us to make it a gift, to ensure that it is a gift for us, that we need to do these few things. I'll start with this. You must make peace with your past. You must make peace with your past. In Isaiah 43, 18, it says this, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. And I think there's two ways that people react with their past when they dwell on it. One, they punish themselves. They don't allow themselves to move on from their past. They have to say, I don't deserve this. I need to be punished somehow. I need to take on responsibility. And yes, you do need to take responsibility. There's a consequence and there's a payment for everything that we do, do yes or no but we serve a God that has set us free. We serve a God that makes us anew. We serve a God that changes our future and doesn't care so much about our past. As long as we live every day with the conviction of knowing that Lord, you are my savior. Lord, I've experienced something special in you. Lord, I can't live the way that I used to. Then you are set free of your past. And the other side of the peace of, of, of accepting and bringing peace in your past is this, is that you feel like you have to punish somebody else. If you want complete freedom from your past, not only do you need to forgive yourself, but you need to forgive others of what they've done to you. You hold and you harbinger this thing against somebody and you say, as long as I do this, it's getting back at them. Nope. When you're not willing to forgive and when you harbor this this thing towards somebody, it's only hurting you and it's taking away the gift of your past 
for you. And everyone in this room is on one side or the other. You're either punishing yourself or you're trying to punish somebody else for something that's happened in your past. I believe that the Lord is trying to set you guys free today. I believe that people walked in today in the, the hustle and bustle of Christmas and maybe it resonates old things that's happened with family members, with parents during this time, with brothers and sisters, with friends. Maybe the strife that you grew up in. Maybe the attention that you weren't getting. Maybe the mistakes that you made, and I feel like the Lord is saying today, Make peace with your past so I can set you free, so I can give you this gift of your past. So what's the other thing that we can learn from our past? Or what's the other thing that we can do to ensure that our past is a gift and it's to, to, to learn from our lessons of the past, to learn from our lessons. I think everybody could go through their head and think of lessons, I mean, small ones getting pulled over for the first time. Sir, I need your license registration, proof of insurance. I know what my license is. I don't know what the other two are. You know, like, okay, I learned from that. Going to the DMV. Sir, would you grab a ticket, please? Okay, number 62, would you go sit down? Sit down, okay. Four hours later, number 43, number 43, 62. Like, how long do I have to be in here? And that was before COVID. Like, like come on, like, and learn from this lesson. Okay, grab the ticket, go get some lunch, come back, you know? Like, it's learning the system, right? Learn, right? Learn from our past. How about a relationship that didn't work out? How about a friendship? I was writing this message and I was reminded I had a very serious girlfriend before I married my wife, my wonderful wife. And um, I thought this, this was the girl that I was gonna marry, but I was a few years older than her. And you know, I was just, it was the time that I was taking my friend's you know, Porsche and doing all this stuff. I wasn't truthful with her. I didn't come up front and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, this is who I am. I like to have a good time, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of hidden. And it kind of blew up in our faces, and I'll blame myself now. Um, you know, at first I blamed her, right? But looking in retrospect, it was my fault. Anytime you come in a hidden in a relationship, it's going to be revealed. And it was revealed, so I promised myself to whoever's going to be my next uh, girl, and thank God it was my wife, beautiful over there. I said, I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to tell you absolutely everything. I'm not going to hold anything back, and I didn't. And thank God she stayed with me. <laughs> Thank God. What are the things in your past that you can learn from? I wrote this down in talking about just history in general, not even our past. Uh, it is so vitally important to learn from our history because if we don't, we will repeat it. And I think that coincides with our past as well, that if we don't learn from our past, from those lessons that we're bound to repeat. So our first gift is that, is the gift of our past. The second one is the gift of our present. I'm excited to talk about this one. When, when you talk about the gift of the present, what comes to mind? Gift of the present, right? Like, you know, don't let a day waste. Have you guys ever heard carpe diem? Latin for, for um, seize the day. Sorry, I've been studying this all week. Can't believe I forgot that right there. <laughs> nope, carpe diem, seize the day. 
But here's the thing that I've come to the realization is, uh, I think our American influence, our, our, our modern thinking of what seize the day is very different than what it originally meant. I think in this day and age, it's seize the day is seize the day and push, uh, climb the ladder and kick the person below me in the face. Seize the day, I'm gonna step in front on the stairs and push the person behind me. Seize the day because it's about me and nobody else. That's seizing the day and I think in American culture, but I think if we went back and asked Jesus, what would you say seizing the day is? What, is? what is seizing the day to you? And this is something that's very close and near and dear to my heart, as I believe Jesus would say this, if you wanna seize the day, then be me to people that day. Be me to people that day. Every single morning I wake up and I'm starting to pray this with my son, but I've prayed it to myself forever and ever. Lord, let me exemplify myself to the people that you put me around. What does that look like? Lord, let me show peace where someone needs peace. Lord, let me be patient where someone needs patience. Let me give grace where someone needs grace. Let me give love where someone needs love. That should bring such a conviction in our heart to say, Lord, let me be Jesus to the people around me today. And I promise you that's a dangerous prayer because the second you do that, guess what? He's gonna put people around you and you're gonna have the opportunity to be Jesus or not. I have two scriptures to show that Jesus would say this. In John 15, eight through 12, it goes this way. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. My command, it's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. He commands us to love others as he has loved us. And can you not see the relationship between God and Jesus? And now once Jesus died on the cross, it's Jesus and us. So it's as God has showed me his love, I have loved him, yes or no. And now it's as Jesus has showed us love, we're supposed to love others the same. Are we exemplifying Jesus in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2? It goes this way. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators. Imitate what we saw in Jesus. I wrote this down and you can see it throughout the entire New Testament and you could say, okay, what makes God move? You know, you could go through the entire Bible. Yes, there's times where, where, where God was moved by the obedience of Moses. There was times that he was moved by the courageousness of David. But you know when God really moved is when Jesus came on this planet and he, when he was Jesus to the everyone around him. So you want to move Jesus, then be Jesus. You want to move God, then exemplify what we read in the New Testament. Show peace to people that need peace. Show love to people that need love. Show patience to people that need patience. Jesus, go through the fruit of the Spirit. Go through 1 Corinthians. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. We've heard this. 
And if you're just pushing this off, like, oh, I exemplify Jesus, that's challenging. That is challenging. Are we showing Jesus while we're driving? How about driving here? Are you showing people Jesus to the people that you work with? Maybe people aren't turning things on time. Maybe someone's purposely doing stuff to you to make you look bad. I will say this though, and I'll get into this in the story later. Jesus also had righteous anger. When he was in the temple, he was flipping the tables because it was an abomination to his father's house. But what does that look like? I doubt Jesus was up there cussing, throwing tables. Flee. You're abomination to my father's house. Are we exemplifying Jesus? Church, we are a representation of him. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it goes this way. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. We're ambassadors. What does it mean to be an ambassador for him? We're not only supposed to be like Jesus, but we have the responsibility of representing Jesus. And if that is just, if you can't feel the gravity of that, guys, that is huge. Everywhere you go, you either have someone looking at you positively or negatively. Let's say you're out to eat and you tip $1 and you're talking about Jesus all the time. Does that represent who bad? Every position, every place we go, how you talk, how you treat someone, if you ignore them, put them off. But two days earlier, you're talking about how much you love Jesus. Guys, we're, we're representing him. We're his ambassadors. Not only are we on the clock when we walk out of the door at our house, but we're on the clock when we're at home. We're ambassadors. All of us have fallen short of this. All of us. So, you know, you guys have heard my messages. I, I like to um, kind of show both sides of, of when I've fallen short and when, you know, I've done good on this, right? So I've, I've said this story before. I haven't told you the whole story. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I and my son, I think it was just my son at the time, we went to Wicopaw and stayed at an Indian reservation in Wicopaw, um, um, Arizona. Great golf courses. Um, but at the time, the hotel was a little shady. Uh, didn't know that. And we get there, and um, all of a sudden, we're walking through, and we're just noticing, like, just this very peculiar um, type of person, like, um, like all golfed out, leather, like, just, like, um, peers tattooed, and I don't, like, care, but just, like, like everyone but Holly and I and the kids, like every single person there. So we're like, what is going on? Like, why is it like, like, I have nothing against it, but I'm like, 
where did, like, where do we go, right? And, and so Holly, we go up to the room. She's like, why don't you go pick up some dinner? So I go down and you, you know, you have to order at the takeout table, whatnot. And I, there's this guy sitting there and the takeout's right here. And it's this big dude, like big dude. And he's just all like, just like, if you saw him, you would be, sh- he was scary. He would, you'd be shaking, like very scary dude. And, and he goes, hey, do you know who I am? And I go, First of all, who does that? Like, like, hey, do you know who I am? I'm like, no, I don't know who you are. Like, I don't know who you are. He's like, I played in a movie called The Devil's Rejects. Have you guys ever heard of it? Hopefully not. It's a very, very demonic, bad movie. And I'm like, okay. I was like, well, what are you doing here? And he goes, we're having a horror film festival at our hotel right now. And I was like, that's why there's so many people like that, right? And then he goes, he turns around, he goes, you know who that is over there? And I go, who? And he goes, that's, Je- that's Jason who played Jason and Freddie and Jason. And he goes, who, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, that's Freddie. And he starts going off the list of all these famous actors. And I was like, that's so cool. And, and yeah, I was like, that's, yeah, I haven't seen most of these movies, um, but that's, that's cool. You know, I can, I can say this story at church now. Um, it works out great. Um, and um, so he eventually asks me and he goes, hey, what do you do for a living? And, and the last time I, I said the story, I said, I'm a pastor. And he, and he goes, and then he goes, I'll, I'll get to that part in the story later. And I kind of like was embarrassed for a second to tell him what I was. You know, I'm like, I'm surrounded by 50 horror film movie stars that for sure they've killed people on screen and most likely off screen. Okay, <laughs> like very like, like, scared, right? And, 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 and I'm like, and he's like, well, well, what is it, man? Tell me. And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I work at a church. And he goes, well, someone's got to bring God into this world. And then just turns away, right? And I'm walking back to the room, bringing the, the, my food. And I felt so convicted that I was embarrassed to say what I did for a living. And if I'm a representation, if I'm ambassador of Christ, and I'm showing this man that's lived this life that I'm embarrassed to say what I do for a living, that is not representing Jesus in a positive way. That is representing Jesus in a way of, oh, I'm gonna just hide. I'm scared that I'm a Christian. I'm embarrassed that I'm a Christian. That's what it's provoking. Another another story, I had a buddy uh, growing up um, from elementary, middle school, high school, college, and the guy just blatantly for no reason just hated Jesus. Just hated it. Like, and he would just, he would say, F Jesus, like just flippantly. And then he'd notice I'm in the room and he'd be like, oh, sorry. And I'd be like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. This is when righteous anger comes in. Hey, my friend, if you knew the Lord and if you knew what you were saying and if you knew what you were condemning yourself to, you wouldn't be saying that. That's righteous anger, but instead just rolling over. No, it's cool. That's just the God I worship. That's not representing Jesus in a good way. So on the other side of it, I have a good buddy. He's, he's been coming to church and he's always asked me, he's like, when are you going to give me a shout out? When are you going to give me a shout out? And I was like, so I texted him, like, I'm giving you a shout out this week. He was like, I have to work. I was like, I'm never giving you a shout out again. <laughs> never doing this again. But his name's Sam, and he's, he's my best friend. My, my wife calls him my second wife. We talk, like, we, we're best buddies. Him, David, and I are, like, the, the three amigos, the three stooges, whatever you want to call. Um, but we, we, we're best buddies. And um, Sam um, grew up kind of Christian, but it was more like um, Christmas, Easter, maybe a few times a year. What he remembers growing up is like, hey, I got to dress up. I got to look super nice. So it was, like, more of a, a work, more of, like, a pain in the butt to go to church, Right. 
And then he, in college, he became an atheist. And he was like, I, like, there's no, I don't, I've never experienced anything that you're talking about and any of that stuff. And then uh, he was my roommate in college and he, you know, he knew I was a Christian, so on and so forth. And we, we get, I'm, I move away, I go to YWAM, come back, I'm absolutely on fire for the Lord. He stays up there for a few more years and then comes back down. He's like, hey, let's reconnect, rekindle. And, and we start hanging out and, and it's me, Dave, and him and, and just some other buddies hanging out that kind of the Lord had touched and moved in their lives. And he starts asking questions. And one, I was available for, to answer questions for him. And then uh, just about a year ago, he's been a Christian now for probably two, three years, something like that. And he said, you know, the one thing that really stuck out to me and and made me be open to Christians because every other Christian wasn't like this, but you and David were like this. David's my twin brother, by the way. He goes, you didn't judge people. You didn't judge people. You let people say what they wanted, but then you were willing to say and combat with what we biblically believed in. But even if they didn't agree, there was no judgment. See, we were available to him asking questions. We were open to hearing his arguments and we were sturdy enough and confident enough to knowing how to defend our faith, how to defend the Bible, right? And because of that, because there was no judgment, because so often Christians are like, you know, here's the Bible, boom, you're right or wrong. And yes, you're either right or wrong, but if someone's like trying to learn, like Jesus, be open to like where they're at. And when I went to Israel on a missions trip, they're mostly Muslims. They said, if you get in an argument on the first day you meet a Muslim, you will never change them to Christianity. You said they are 100% relational. The only way that you're going to change a Muslim is through relationship. Go in and have coffee. Doing those things. See, I would say that's a good representation of Jesus, of me being Jesus to other people. So I wanted to challenge you this week. Are you representing Jesus? I want to push you out of your personal boundaries, your comfort zones, and I want you to represent and be an ambassador of Jesus this week. And I know most of you are like, I can't do that. You can. I promise you, you can. I used to hate. Guys, I... I I'll tell you, here's a secret about me, guys. I hate doing announcements. Absolutely hate announcements. Like it, it makes me so nervous and anxious. But when I get up here, guys, there's gonna be an anointing that comes over you. When you say, Lord, let me be Jesus to this person. Let me exemplify. Let me be an ambassador. There's gonna be an anointing and a covering that comes over you that's gonna lift up the yoke, that's gonna lift up your embarrassment, that's gonna lift up anything that's gonna hold you back. Go out, be bold, and be Jesus to somebody this week. Be Jesus. Someone in here needs that push. You've been stuck in this place where you're satisfied. And yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you go to church. Yes, you have these conversations. And trust me, it's easy as a pastor to get really stuck in that area. Because most of the people I'm around, actually, you know, 90% of the people I'm around are Christians. You know, like. So really just even coming, thinking about this. You guys are more of an ambassador to the people out there than we are. You guys are more of a representation. And if church, you're not willing to take that step forward of representing Jesus, then who's going to know? 
You might lose an opportunity of someone hearing Jesus for the first time or experiencing what the Jesus that we worship is really like. Because there's a lot of people that know Jesus, but there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus, that Jesus that we worship. I challenge you in that. So I thought for for, uh, my final point that I would kind of close and do it at the same time, okay? So it starts with this, the present of the future. Have you guys ever heard of Elijah in the Bible? Not Elijah, but Elijah. Wonderful man of God. Wonderful man of God. He was was called to be a prophet at Beersheba. And from there, just right off, hits the gates, goes to the king Ahab and says, there's going to be a drought. There was a drought. And then as he's going, he sees this widower. And, and God said, you'll find a widower there that will feed you. The widower was like, hey, this is the last of our food. And we're going to die after this, essentially. And he's like, don't worry about it. Make me some and everything will be good. He does it. Everything was great. The woman's blessed. And he goes and does these incredible things. And the thing about Ahab, it was this thing though. He turned away from the Lord and his forefathers and him really introduced the God Baal, B-A-A-L as the God of Israel. And instead of it being the Lord that we worship. Okay, and, and uh, so God calls Elijah to, to, to bring back and turn, you know, the face of, of Israel back to the Lord we worship. So, so he's doing this, we're talking, and, and there's these, these, I guess, prophets or priests of Baal, and there's 450 of them, and they're like, they're wanting to compete with just Elijah. Just Elijah. Okay, and, and they're like, Elijah's like taunting them, like, okay, take all day. And, and the, the goal is to, to, to call fire down from heaven, right? So there's 450 of them and they're praying, fall down fire, fall down fire, fall down fire, right? And, and it doesn't happen. So Elijah just, just does a simple prayer. He even pours water to where the fire's supposed to start to make it even more so that it was God that did it, right? Because it's hard to start a fire with water, correct? So even more so, and he calls down fire, boom. Instantly fire comes down. And then Elijah says, arrest the, the rest of those prophets, those priests, and they killed all of them. Killed all of them. Okay, then word gets back to King Ahab. Do you guys know King Ahab's wife's name? Jezebel. Jezebel. Wicked, wicked, wicked woman. Wicked. And Ahab tells Jezebel, and Jezebel promises that she will kill Elijah. Elijah gets word of this. And what does he do right after calling fire from heaven? Is he's scared. And he goes into hiding. And you know where he actually flees to? He goes to a place called Beersheba. Did you hear me mention that earlier? That's where he was called. So not only where he was called into his ministry is the same place that he said, I want no more. I want no more of this ministry. Because I don't know what tomorrow is going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to die. But I'm done, Lord. I'm done. See, here's the thing about the gift of our future is God wants to give us a future of peace. But what the enemy is trying to do is give you a future of fear. And with Elijah, even after having this tremendous, amazing, miraculous moment, he gets scared and he's fearful. Why? Because he's scared of his future. He's scared of his future. So God has to come beside him and it nourishes him and gets him back and recalls him back into ministry. And fast forward, Ahab, Ahab dies and his son Ahash, or I forgot exactly, finds out what Elijah's doing. And he sends 50 soldiers to get him. And what Elijah does is he calls 
down fire again and kills all 50 of them. Not just a fire. He's called down fire and set on fire 50 people and killed them. And I felt like the Lord said today, is Daniel, there's people in this room that are living fear of their future. How could we not? Politically, financially, what does tomorrow hold? There's people in here that are like, what meal will I have tomorrow? What meal will I have next week? It's constantly surrounding us. Constantly. And what God is trying to bring is this gift for your future is peace. Is peace. I was reading and doing this study and when they discovered Jesus' body, it said this. It said that they had great joy, but they feared. So church, I warn you, with great joy is typically followed by great fear. Because you know why I was, I was even praying about this today? It's because we get like this with our joy. Oh Lord, I can't let go of this joy today. And what the Lord is saying is, what about the joy tomorrow? And out of anything that I could talk to you about today, if there's one that resonates with me is this. I do deal with this. Lord, please give me the gift of, 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 of having a joyful future, of knowing my future will have peace. Take away my fear. I'm a very fearful human being when it comes to my future. I'm very possessive about today. And what the Lord is saying is let go, Daniel. And what he's saying to you, church, is let go. Because no matter what is in store for you tomorrow, you're good. Guys, there's so much fear when it comes to the unknown. And that's really what it is. The future is the unknown. It's the unknown. So I had, I wrote a list. I want to pray uh, for you guys. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody and make you raise your hand or stand up or do anything. But I want you to just bow your, your heads. And just, if you want to receive this prayer, then just maybe put your hands to the side or just say amen or just to come in agreement. But I wrote a list of things that has to do with our future that I just want to pray over you. So would you bow your heads, please? Jesus. Right now, if there's any time, for sure in the time I've lived in, but probably for most people in this room, probably on this planet, Lord, we pray that you would break the chains of fear, that you would break the chairs of un the unknown. Lord, we pray where there is fear that you bring in peace. Lord, we pray that true peace, peace comes through peace about tomorrow and peace about tomorrow comes through you. So Jesus, we pray that you would bring peace. We rebuke fear. We rebuke anything that the enemy would do against us. Jesus, we live in a true pandemic of people living in fear because they don't know what tomorrow holds. If there's something that can make you feel small and insignificant and make you feel like you're not in control, go through a pandemic because Lord, that is how I feel and I'm sure there's not anybody else in here that doesn't. Just kidding. Lord, be our peace today. Just as when Elijah 
was called back again, Jesus. And he called down fire on 50 people, Lord, on 50 soldiers. Lord, we pray that you would resonate a fire on us again, Lord, that a place that we might've gone to and been called out of and to ministry and to what we're doing and go back there and saying, Jesus, I want no more of this. Lord, we pray that you would call the people back in this room out of their ministry and into what is new, into what is exciting, into what you call them to be, Jesus. Open their hearts, open their minds. Lord, let them be no longer hesitant, ashamed, embarrassed. Jesus, renew the gift of our future. Lord, I pray for the future of our country. I pray that you would renew the gift of the future of our country, Lord. There's so many people around this country that are so fearful, Jesus. I pray that America is not done, Lord. I pray that you would raise a generation up and even the generations that are here now, Lord. I pray for a revival. I pray for a fire, Lord. I pray that we would be men and women of God that say, Jesus, there is hope in our future. There is peace in our future, but it's only through you. True understanding of peace only comes through you. So Jesus, we pray over our country right now. We pray for the gift of our future not for the fear of our future. Just like in Genesis 3, when God is hovering, he's hovering and he's waiting to get in the chaos. He's waiting to get in the chaos to calm it, Lord. We receive that word in Genesis 3 right now, Lord. As we are and as we are walking in this chaotic world, you are hovering over us. You are ready to protect us. You are ready to be with us, Jesus. We await you. We await you. We await you. We await you. Lord, break any chains of fear in this room. Lord, I pray that you would challenge people to be like you this week. I pray that you would renew each gift that we talked about. Renew our past, Jesus. Let that be a gift. Renew our present, Lord. Let us be like you. And renew our future and give us peace. Lord, you are good. You're so good. Say this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, guys.